Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. I encourage you to follow along in your Bibles. This passage is also printed in your bulletin on page 11. And if you are willing and able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 7. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Mike. I want to remind you that we are in the season of Advent in the church calendar right now. There are some traditions that follow the church calendar much more closely than we do here at Proclamation. In fact, we do not even have an Advent sermon series every year. But I I thought we could think of it this way. Just as in every Sunday uh, here at Proclamation, we are very uh, intentional about our liturgy. Uh, what we do together, and even the order that we do it in. And, and it's the same each week, the order. Uh, it's our design to rehearse the gospel together, to remember who God is and what he has done. It's, it's our aim, our desire to behold the glory of Jesus every Sunday and center our lives around him. So too, the church calendar is an annual reminder of the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ, that we might behold his glory and center our lives around him. And so Advent is the first season of the church calendar. It begins with the fourth Sunday before Christmas and continues on to the day before Christmas. And that name Advent is derived from the Latin for coming. So it's a season of preparation and expectation for the coming of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of our Lord and the birth of our Savior Jesus. And also, 
for the coming of our Savior at his return, his second and final coming in power and glory. So we remember Jesus has come and Jesus will come again. This year during Advent, we are taking a short break from our study through the book of Romans and we are looking at these four servant songs in Isaiah. These are prophecies of the one that God would send, the one who would come into the world to save us. Now, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, we left off our study of Romans and we had come to the very end of the guilt section. We saw that all are guilty, all are needy. Paul had argued from the immoral, irreligious world to the moral, religious world, both Jews and Gentiles, all were guilty, all were under sin, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now we find a similar message in the book of Isaiah. This book was written roughly 700 years before Christ came. And God had called the Jews, he had called the Israelites to be his people and to represent him to the world, to be a blessing to the nations. But sadly, his people had forsaken him. And instead of bringing blessing to the nations, they had joined the pagan nations in idolatry, the worship of false gods. If you have your Bible, you don't have to turn there, but in chapter 1 of Isaiah, verse 21, we see this. The prophet says, the faithful city, talking about the people of God, the Israelites, the faithful city, what an adulteress she has become. She was once full of justice. Righteousness once dwelt in her, but now murderers. God's people have been unfaithful. They are not living up to God's calling for them. They are guilty. But there's hope. Just a few verses later, verse 26 of chapter one, God says, I will remove all your impurities. I will restore your judges to what they once were and your advisors to their former state. Afterward, you will be called the righteous city a faithful city. So in chapter one, we see God's people, Israel, currently unfaithful, but with a great hope that they will be made faithful once again. So in the midst of God's judgment on his own people, here towards the end of Isaiah, we find these precious promises, these songs of hope, these servant songs. God will send a servant to rescue and redeem his people. And today we look at the second of these four songs. So last week, our associate pastor, Colin Gingrich, got us started with Isaiah 42. Next week, Lord willing, one of our former pastoral interns, Seth Dunn, will be here to preach on Isaiah 50. And then the following week, December 18th, our current new pastoral intern, one of our ruling elders, Justin Kleiner, will preach on Isaiah 53. And then Lord's Day, Christmas morning, Uh, Lord willing, we'll have our lessons and carol service. That gives you a little insight of where we're at, where we're going. But today we look at this second servant song here in Isaiah 49. And this is what Isaiah is revealing to God's people in this passage. He's showing us God's plan and his chosen person to bring back his faithless people with a salvation that will reach to all the nations, to the end of the earth. And we see in this message that There is one above all others that we are to listen to. There is one we are to listen to. As we look at this song this morning, I want to ask several questions of the text. First, why? 
Why listen to this one? How do we listen to him? What does he say? What will he do? Will what he says and does matter? Will it succeed? And then finally, why will it succeed? So let's begin. There is one you are to listen to above all others. Verse 1 begins, Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. So here is someone who says to the entire world, Listen to me. Give attention. Now how can someone say that? To say to the entire world, You are to listen to me. Think about this. Children and teenagers, who says this to you? Listen to me. Or something like that. Listen to me. Your parents might say that to you. Your grandparents might say that. Maybe babysitters or teachers or coaches. People that are watching over you. People that might have some authority in your lives. People that have some responsibility for you. And what happens if they say, listen to me, and you don't listen? Well, many things could happen, right? You might get into trouble. They can tell you how to walk in the way that is right. They're trying to keep you from harm. Or you might get hurt. They can foresee danger, and they warn you. Or you might miss out on something good. They know the way to blessing, and they want to share that with you. Many of you, children, teenagers, adults, Many of you have people in your lives who love you, who say, listen to me, and they do so because they're seeking your good. But who else might say that to you? Who else might say that to us? You might hear something like that, listen to me. Maybe not those exact words, but you might hear it from friends. You might hear it in things you listen to, songs or podcasts or news broadcasts. You might hear it in videos or books that you read. And those voices may not love you. They may not be seeking your good. Just because somebody says, listen to me, doesn't mean that you have to or that you should. So why, when we open this book that was written 700 some years before Christ came, so you know, close to 3,000 years ago, why should we listen to this person in Isaiah? Well, I'll tell you why. Because this one speaking is not just any person. It's not just any prophet. It is the Lord himself, your creator, your king, your judge, your savior. And before I explain that, we'll we'll see it in the text. I just want you to think about this. Just pause for a moment. Here are these words, listen to me. And it is the Lord himself speaking. And what a joy, what a privilege that God Almighty speaks to us, that he knows us, that he loves us, that he cares enough about us to talk to us. Though we were faithless, he's calling out to us the way of redemption. God, the creator, the king, the judge, the savior of the world is speaking to you right now. He's speaking to you right now by his spirit, through his word, as I preach. Are you listening? Will you listen? I want you to hear him today, not me. Hear him. Now, why do I say this is God speaking? 
Well, we'll discover that throughout the passage this morning. But it begins with this opening phrase, listen to me. And it's the prophet speaking here, not Isaiah. Isaiah doesn't talk like this. And, and neither do any of the other Old Testament prophets, not Jeremiah, not Jonah, not Micah. They never say, listen to me in this way. They often will say things like, thus says the Lord, and listen to him. So this prophet is different. He's unique. He says, listen to me. He's addressing the whole world as only God can. And that's telling us something about him. And he's able to do that because he is not a prophet. He is the prophet. Isaiah was a prophet, but this one is the prophet. The one speaking in this passage is none other than Jesus, the Messiah. And the whole world, everyone who's ever lived, everyone you know, needs to listen to his voice, to hear this good news, including you today. So there is one that we are to listen to above all others. And it is this one who is speaking on the very pages of this book that we have opened up to Isaiah chapter 49 this morning. Now, how do you listen to him? Verse two says, he made my mouth like a sharp sword and the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow and his quiver, he hid me away. You may know that prophets speak the word of God. In the New Testament, we see Ephesians 6 tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Hebrews 4 tells us that the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So we're hearing that same word. This, This prophet is coming to rescue his people, not with a literal sword, but it is the truth of his word that will set the captives free. And the truth of his life that will redeem his people. So you listen to this people, you you listen to this prophet, you listen to Jesus himself by listening to his word, by reading his word in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. There is one that you are to listen to above all else, and the way that you listen to him today is by taking heed to his word recorded for us in the scriptures. What a privilege this is. Now, what we're doing right now, Gathered worship, as, as God has called me to preach this word, this is the primary way. It's the primary way, but it's not the only way. It's the primary way that we listen to this servant today, but not the only way. You can listen to him every day, do you? God Almighty, ready, speaking to you. Do you listen to him? There are many others that we listen to every day, aren't there? Some we have to, and some we choose to. But not all of them are bringing true and loving messages from God. Some are bringing messages from the father of lies. Some are bringing messages from the foolishness of this God-denying world. Some of them are not servants of the Lord, but they are servants of self, or even worse, servants of Satan. Some of them may not be a revelation of the beauty and the glory of the Lord like this servant is, but instead they are a mirage. It looks appealing, but in the end it leads to darkness and to death. Are you listening to this one? Now, I, I imagine that 
for all of us here this morning, we have relatively easy access to the words and the message of this prophet. We are able to listen in ways that our forefathers in the faith were not able. We have such an incredible privilege and wealth of resources to listen to this servant, will we? You know what we could do this Advent season? We could help one another listen to this one speaking the word of God to us. How could we do that? By speaking the word of God to one another. And let us pray that God will help us grow in doing that for his glory and for our edification. That we will speak his word to one another. Well, what does he say? In verse 1 he says, The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother he named my name. And then in verse 5 he says again, Now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb. So this servant, this prophet, has been called by the Lord. He has been sent by God Almighty. From before he was born, he had a God-given purpose. And beloved, the same is true for you. For every person that God has created. Listen what we can learn from this passage. God is the one who formed you in the womb. You, every one of you, Right here today, you were created by God for his glory. And you were created to worship him. You are not your own. Your life is not your own. You belong to God. Now I do want to give a brief side note here. It's not the main point of this passage by any means, but it is a truth we learn from this passage. What Isaiah says here in the word of God, you find these kind of statements throughout the scriptures. And this is why your elders at this church will always be pro-life. Not because we are Republicans. And yes, we can acknowledge that this is indeed a political issue today, but long before that, it was a biblical issue. And we are pro-life because God Almighty is. We are pro-life because God Almighty is, and he is the one we are to listen to above all others. He is our king. He has supreme authority. So every child, every person inside the womb and outside the womb is a gift and blessing from the Lord. Formed and fashioned by the very hand of God. Created with love and purpose and meaning and value. And so we are pro-life because God is. Because God is the author, the giver, the creator of life. And it is not our right to put to death the life in the womb that God himself is forming and creating. And so I just want to say, if you have done that, if you've done that, there is mercy and there is forgiveness and there is healing in Christ. And that is the only place you can find it. But you can find it in him. What Isaiah is telling us about today. And we pray that you would turn to him. Or if you have already and you're wrestling with the shame and guilt of that from your past. Turn again to Christ today and find the mercy and healing and forgiveness that can only be found in him. And we pray that this church will be a place of healing for you. But if you are tempted to end a life in the womb. If you find yourself at any point in your life tempted to pursue abortion or you know someone who is, I would urge you to ask us 
for help. We, as a church family, are committed to loving people in practical ways. We have people who are willing to adopt children. We have people who are willing and ready to come alongside parents and help them in raising children. Don't believe the lie of the world or even of your own heart that you will be alone or without help. We, God's people, must love you in practical ways, and we want to love you in practical ways because Jesus first loved us. So we are pro-life because God is. And if, so this was in my notes and I took it out. I guess I'm putting it back in. If you hear a pastor or you go to a church that is not pro-life, they are not being faithful to God on that issue. And they are not a servant of the Lord, but a minister of Satan. We are pro-life because God is. This servant was called from the womb, formed from the womb. This servant is unique because he existed eternally. But here, he's taking on a human body. So that leads us to the next question. What will this servant do? Verse 3, and he said to me, You are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. Some of you might have a different version or maybe a note at the bottom of your Bible where it says, or in whom I will display my splendor or display my beauty. So in the servant, God Almighty is going to show the world his beauty, the glory of God Almighty. John 1 tells us about the coming of this servant. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we have seen his glory Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This servant is unique. He shows us what God is truly like. Now, if you want to know what you look like before you leave the house to come to church on a Sunday morning, what do you do? You look in the mirror, right? I often forget to do that. But that's what you do, right? You look in the mirror and you you see your reflection. You see how beautiful you are. If you want to know how beautiful God is, you want to see what he is like, where do you look? You look at Jesus, his servant. He is the very image of God. You look at who Jesus is and what he has done and you will see the goodness and the glory and the beauty of God. And we begin to see that in the name that is given to this servant, which will also help us see that what he will do. Verse one again, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. And verse three, he said to me, you are my servant, Israel. So he's given the name Israel. Now this might be confusing. We might think, well, how do we know the Lord is not simply talking about the nation of Israel here, the entire people of God? Well, we know because later in verse five, and then again in verse six, that he will say that this servant whom he has called Israel was given the mission to bring Israel back to God. So this servant, this Israel, is distinct, set apart. Israel as a nation, as a people, they were not able to save themselves. In fact, when this song is sung, they are in exile. They're in bondage. They're in captivity. So they're not able to bring themselves back. Instead, God will send one, the true Israel of God, to do what they and what we are not able to do ourselves. This servant 
would be the embodiment of what the nation failed to be. He would succeed where God's people had failed. He would be what God had designed the nation of Israel to be, a faithful son, a blessing to the nations. So this song, again, was first a message of hope for the Israelites when they were in exile in Babylon. And do you remember why they were in exile? We talked about this when we made our way through the book of Daniel. They were in exile because they had failed to worship the Lord. They had failed to be a blessing to the nations. They had joined in the worship of false gods. We saw this last week in Isaiah 42. They had joined in idolatry. But this song would give them hope. Because even though they had been unfaithful, God had not forgotten them. He would remain faithful to his promises. He would send one who could redeem them, who could right their wrongs, who would, who would be faithful where they were faithless. One who could save not only his chosen people, Israel, but also people from every nation on earth. This was a God who had the power and the love to transform not only Israel, but also their oppressors, their enemies. And he would do so. This servant would save his own people from idolatry. Psalm 16.4 tells us, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. It's speaking the truth that when you pursue gods other than the one true God, it leads eventually to sorrow, to sorrow upon sorrow. And the good news here is that our faithful God has purposed to save us from this sorrow. He has determined to save us from our propensity for choosing death. We make these bad decisions over and over and over again. We give our attention and our affections to things that will destroy us and others. But God has said that he will bring his people back. And how is he going to do it? He's going to do it by displaying his beauty, his goodness, his glory in this servant. And his glory will captivate their hearts. It will win their affections and draw them back to him away from the worthless idols so that they see and behold his glory and worship him as they were made to do. Is he doing that in your life? You see his beauty. And the Lord says that this message, this good news is too good. It's too good to be limited to the nation of Israel. And so his task is not simply to bring Israel back to God, but to bring God's salvation worldwide. Verse six, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes with Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Beloved, all the world needs to hear this good news, to trust in and follow this servant. Now, I've already said this, and you probably already knew this, but because we have the New Testament today, because we live after the life and the death and the resurrection of this servant, we know that his name is not only Israel, but his name is also Jesus. The angel tells us this, right? In Matthew chapter 1, as the angel appears to Joseph, and he says to Joseph that the, your, Mary's going to have this child. It's from the Holy Spirit. And you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. 
What is this servant going to do? He's going to save his people from their sins. How, how will he do that? He's going to do that by stepping in their place. Stepping in our place. Taking our failures, our faithlessness, our sins upon himself. Willingly being punished for the sin that we committed. Peter says it this way in 1 Peter 3, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. You hear that song from Isaiah there? Bring us to God. The servant is sent to bring us back to God. We had been unfaithful, and cast out, and separated by our sins, but God loved us, and wanted to bring us back to him, to enjoy him, and life with him. Beloved, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved but the name of Jesus. He brings us back to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. So that is what this servant says. This is what he's going to do. Will what he says, will what he does, will it matter? Will it make a difference? Will he succeed in this mission that God has given him? After all, the original Israel, the people of God, they didn't see, will this one succeed? Well, it won't look like it at first. It won't feel like it at first. For him and for all those who follow, suffering precedes glory. For our Savior and for us, suffering precedes glory. Verse 4, the servant says, But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Verse 7 tells us he would be deeply distressed, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Do you realize that Jesus read these verses? He was taught these verses as a boy. Can you imagine Jesus reading this and, and coming to understand this is written about him? That he is this servant? He's the one who's going to feel like his labor's in vain? He's the one who's going to be despised and distressed? but it will not deter him from his mission. He will be faithful to the very end. John 1 tells us the servant came to his own. His own people did not receive him. So Jesus knows what it's like to be rejected, to feel like a failure, to have people not like him and even worse, hate him. But this servant will not turn away from God in cynical unbelief. He will not give in to bitterness or despair. Instead, what will he do? He will accept this suffering with confidence and with joy in God because he knows, he knows beyond a shadow of a doubt that his father in heaven will be faithful to his promises. And so what this servant says matters more than anything else. And what he does is certain to succeed. Why? Why? Verse seven. Those, those people who are despising this servant, abhorring him, what does it say? Kings shall see and arise. Princes, and they shall prostrate themselves. Why? Because of the Lord, who is faithful. The Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. 
So what he says matters. What he does will succeed because of the Lord who is faithful. Beloved, what was our opening hymn today? O come, all ye faithful. Now, who among us is faithful in and of themselves? Not me and not you. Not a single one of us. So then why did I have us sing that song? How can we sing it? We sing it and we can sing it because of the Lord who is faithful. And now he makes us faithful in his son, Jesus Christ. There's no better news in the world, beloved. Beloved, for those who listen to this servant, those who trust in Jesus, we are not dismissed by our failures any more than we are saved by our successes. We are saved by the Lord, our Savior, and kept by his faithfulness alone. Amen? Amen. This is a good song in Isaiah. This song in Isaiah shows us God's plan and his chosen person to bring back his faithless people with a salvation that will reach to all the nations, to the ends of the earth. This is a message that we need to listen to. We need it today. And if you are among God's people today, this is a message that we are called to proclaim, to take to the nations. The whole world, everyone you know, needs to hear and heed this good news. And thanks be to God, someone shared it with you. Right? As, as far as I know, there aren't many Jewish people here today among our midst. So who are we? We're among the nations. We're among the ends of the earth that this salvation has reached. So God's been faithful. This has happened. It's happened in our lives. And this message, this good news is not meant to stop with us but to continue to go out so that we can gather others in that all may see and worship. And we see this happening in Acts, don't we? Remember when Jesus had risen from the dead, the servant had come, he had died, he had risen, and he's gathering his disciples, and he says to them, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And then you read the book of Acts, and it's the history of the unstoppable gospel on the move. And you come to Acts chapter 13, and the whole city is gathered to hear the word of the Lord. And the Jews were jealous, and they're creating this disturbance. And Paul rebukes them, and he says, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles, the nations, for the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. They were listening to this one, and as many as were appointed for eternal life believed. God was saving his people. And he's doing it today. And then it says the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Beloved, what this servant spoke of in Isaiah 49, 700 years before Jesus came, it was being fulfilled then, and it's being fulfilled today. And there is a wonderful way, a wonderful way that we can prepare for the second and final coming 
of our Savior Jesus Christ. He has come. He will come again. A wonderful way to prepare for it is to listen to his voice, to worship him alone, and then go forth as a light for the nations, that his salvation may reach both the end of your street and the end of the earth. Amen.